Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Pray that you would help us to look at elements that are essential in worship. I pray that you would help us to truly seek to worship you, uh, not with just our voice, but with our life. Uh, I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Have you ever left the church service thinking, I didn't really get much out of it? I didn't really get much out of the singing. Uh, just didn't do it for me today. Have you ever turned on uh, your radio or started singing a song? Only to stop. Have you ever turned your Spotify playlist to the, uh, I'm going to give a shameless plug here, to the Eagle Drive Church Worship song, Songs? All right, we do have a Spotify playlist. Um, and started playing it just to change it or turn it off because you weren't feeling it that day? Uh, it's happened to me. It's probably happened to you. Um, and look, it's not because God wasn't there present with you. It's because we were not where we should have been, spiritually speaking. Um, it's because we were probably missing, missing out on some essentials of worship. And before we get into these four essentials of worship that I want to uh, look at today based on what the wise men's example was for us, uh, I want to I define worship very quickly. Okay? The goal of worship is to exalt God and to demonstrate our deep love and reverence for Him. That's the goal of worship to exalt him and lift his name on high. That's, that's the goal of worship. It has nothing to do with us. Um, it's not to make us have a better day. I'll start my day with a song so that I can have a good day. That, that's not what worship is for. Uh, man, I'm feeling down, so I'm, I'm going to worship God so I can feel better. That's, that's not what worship is for, even though many times that is a result of worship. But that's not what it's for. The main goal of worship is to exalt God and give Him the praise due to His name. Um, the second thing I want to see, uh, say is something that's been said many times from this pulpit, from uh, Pastor, from uh, Brother Eaton, from other preachers that we've had uh, come in and preach. Worship is not singing. All right? Although singing praises to the Lord uh, should be a regular part and is a regular part of, of worship, uh, it only makes up a fraction really of what worship is. Uh, and let me say this, though a song may be sung that extols the wonders and the praiseworthiness of our God, there is so much more that must be a part of that before that worship ever reaches God's presence. Um, I want to take an example of these wise men and analyze 14, four things that they incorporated uh, to render their worship to Jesus. And so uh, we're, looking, we're going to look at four essential elements of worship. So I want to read again Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, <clears throat> in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Look at verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. The first thing that I want to notice is that worship requires us to be in the right place. Worship requires us to be in the right place. The wise men understood when they saw that star from the east, 
They, they, they searched, they looked for its meaning, and they were like, oh, the king of the Jews, the Messiah is being born. Awesome. They didn't sit there and, and be like, well, praise God, let's worship here. They said, we need to go worship Jesus. Jesus is in the west. Let's go west. And so they traveled west, all right? And, uh, and, and then when they got to uh, Jerusalem, look at verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. Jesus at the time was still in Bethlehem. But they went to Jerusalem. And you know what? They got there to Jerusalem, and they were still in the wrong place. They were a whole lot closer, but they were still in the wrong place. Their, their worship to Jesus would have been as ineffective in Jerusalem as it would have been in the Far East. They were in the wrong place. So they had to seek, they had to inquire, they had to ask. And, and I don't know what happened. I don't know what, uh, uh, what happened with these men uh, that, that they just... Anybody ever used their GPS to get somewhere from somewhere you don't know where you're at? So you're like, okay, uh, uh, take me home. <laughs> And you go home, and you enter Decatur or wherever you live, and you're like, okay, I know the place now. I just won't pay attention to it, or I'll turn it off or whatever, and, and you go. I don't know if the wise men, and like I said, I don't know. This is because the Bible doesn't say. This is what I believe happened. I think they got to Israel, and they were like, oh, Israel. Well, capital's in Jerusalem. We're looking for a king, so we'll go to the capital. And I don't know if they just stopped looking at the heavenly GPS and, and just went straight to Jerusalem. And, and then we're asking, hey, where's this king? And Herod was like, I'm the king. <laughs> what do you mean, newborn king? Ain't no babies being born here. Uh, and then when they inquired again, the Bible says they looked and, and they saw the star as they went to Bethlehem. Oh, look, there's the star. Let's, let's go ahead and follow that all the way to the exact point. But see, they, they, they'd taken their own route for a while. And, uh, but look, what I do know is that they were in the wrong place. And until they got to the right place, they could not present their gifts. They could not voice their worship to a Jesus uh, that would be hearing them. All right, I want to be clear about something. When I say we've got to be in the right place, I'm not speaking physically. I'm not saying that if you expect to worship God, you better be sitting here in a pew in the church. Okay? Um, uh, thanks to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we can worship God in any physical place that we are. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, uh, he said, hey, the time is, uh, is coming and the time now is. We're here going to worship God in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and you've got to worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and the time is now and, and it's coming where you're not have to, you're, you won't have to go to the temple to worship God. Okay. And so, uh, look, but it requires us to be maybe not in a physical place that's right, but it does require us to be in a correct spiritual place, okay? Uh, if I'm living for myself, chasing my own desires, chasing my own goals, chasing my own dreams, if I'm living in sin, then it will be impossible to render true worship to God. I need to be in a right place spiritually to worship the Lord. What's nice is that I don't have to make a two-year journey to get there. Repentance and getting from the wrong place with God is, is really a prayer and a, and, and, a, and a change of heart away. And a turn towards God puts you in the right place if you'll repent. 
Like, I need to be right with God, and I need to humbly recognize His Lordship, His Majesty, and His sovereignty in my life to have true worship. That brings us to the second point. Worship requires us to seek God. It requires us to seek God. Look at verse 2, Matthew 2, 2. says, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. These wise men were searching for Jesus. Um, they knew it wasn't Herod. They knew it wasn't anybody else that deserved their praise. Uh, they were seeking Jesus for the purpose of worshiping him. And worship requires us, true worship requires us to search out God, to search out Jesus. Okay? The apostle Paul was in Athens. And he's there in Athens, and he's looking around, and he goes to this big place where there's a whole lot of people that are just like debating and trying to learn new philosophies and new things, and they have a, a myriad of gods and, and altars all over the place. And as he's walking through these altars, he notices an altar, and it says, to the unknown God. And he uses that to preach to the people there uh, uh, in Athens, and he says, hey, I know a God that you don't know about. It's the one true God. And he preaches and he uses that as a stepping stone to get off onto the gospel and preach the gospel to the Athenians. But listen, those Athenians were not worshiping God and they weren't seeking God while building an altar to the unknown God. They were covering all the bases. It's like the person that, you know, they wear a cross, they wear a half moon, they wear a rabbit's foot. They were, you know, whatever, because, well, I don't know which one of these is going to be lucky, but I'm covering all my bases. And that's what the Athenians were doing. They're worshiping all these other gods, and they were like, hey, what if there's a god that we don't know about? Let's worship him too, just in case. And so they built an altar to the unknown god. And their worship and their offerings and their prayers to this unknown god, you know what, never made it to God. But Paul used that to explain to them a god that they knew not. The Hindu religion is said to be a religion of 330 million gods. That's a lot of gods with a little g. They believe in, in three main deities, and there's a lot of different sects of Hinduism, and, and, and each sect of Hinduism uh, uh, has a debate and debates over who is like the, the ultimate god. There are several there that, that, that say, hey, well, if you're not worshiping the, the right God that's over all the gods, and uh, your worship is falling on deaf ears, and it does nothing. But there's other sects of Hinduism that say, oh, if you just worship with all your heart, you can worship whichever God you want to. As long as it's with all your heart, then the, whichever God happens to be the one true God receives that worship, and so you're okay. And that goes completely contrary to what the Bible says about worshiping God. We are to seek God. We are to know Him, know who He is, and seek to know more about Him. We're to seek to be close to Him. We're to seek to magnify Him. And if we worship anything or anyone else, it is affront to our, it's an affront to our Lord. Look, if I sing so that everybody can see how good I sound, if I ring the bell so that everybody can say, oh, wow, you did a good job ringing that bell at the, at the, uh, at the Walmart yesterday. You know, good, good for you, doing, doing the, the, what is it, the greatest, the, good, the best good, whatever it is. Good job, good job. Yeah, pat, pat yourself on the back. You know, and I walk around like this so that everybody else can pat me on the back too. Then I'm not worshipped at all. That doesn't get to God at all in any kind of sweet-smelling fragrance. But if I sing, I ring the bell outside of Walmart, 
And I text something to somebody trying to be an encouragement to them. If I pray for others, if I seek to be a blessing to others, if I seek to serve God for the purpose of knowing God more and showing God more, that's worship. Because it exalts God's name. It exalts his characteristics. It exalts who he is. And it shows it to the world. And look, as we seek him, it will draw us closer to him. Which brings us to the third point. Worship requires us to approach God the right way. And the right way is humbly. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. The first part says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. The wise men fell down before Jesus. Their status as wise men, their wealth, and their influence was nothing compared to the majesty of the Messiah whom they had searched for. They didn't stand and brag about how much frankincense they brought, how much gold they had, how much myrrh, how much the myrrh cost. They didn't, they didn't be like, oh, look, look uh, we have brought these presents. Look, look. The gold is great, but even the chest that it's in is wonderful. Don't you like it? Oh, uh, we've traveled for... You know how long we've traveled to get here just to worship you? No, they, they saw Jesus and they fell down before him. Because even though Jesus was bodily as a young child, they knew who he was. The eternal God, the Son of God, the Messiah, the, the one that would be a ransom for many. They didn't high-five each other and say, hey, man, way to go with that frankincense. Right? frankincense. Hey, man, uh, uh, good job picking a chest for that gold. Hey, 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 you got a good deal on that myrrh. Good, good, good for you. Uh, they didn't pat each other on the back. They didn't brag about it to the others. Uh, they fell down, bowing before a child and worshiping because he was Jesus. Like, it takes humility to truly worship God. Two weeks ago, the pastor preached a message about worship. And, and, how, and one of the points was that worship places us. True worship puts us in our place. Understanding that we aren't God. We don't even get close to God. In majesty and power and influence and anything, we don't touch God. We are nothing without God. And true worship puts us in our place and elevates God in our hearts, to the place where he should be. Listen, it takes humility to worship. And when we truly worship and acknowledge God and seek to acknowledge God for who he is, we have no choice but to humble ourselves before his greatness. Anything else is prideful rebellion. And the last thing, true worship requires a gift. It requires a sacrifice. Notice verse 11 again. It says, And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. The last part says, And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men gave of their own treasury. They sacrificed not only the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. But listen, they sacrificed a couple years of their life. Actually, they sacrificed double that. However long it took them to get there, however long it took them to get back. They sacrificed that. They sacrificed time away from home. They sacrificed time away from family. They sacrificed time away from their sphere of influence. They sacrificed time away from their sphere of authority. They sacrificed that for Jesus. They gave that. 
And they weren't the only ones that sacrificed. Look, the shepherds that were there the night that Jesus was born, they sacrificed too. Yeah, they didn't bring gold and frankincense and myrrh, but they, they brought what they had, which was basically nothing. They left their sheep, and, 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 uh, and when, the, when, the, when the angels appeared to them, and they told them where Jesus was, and the angels disappeared, they didn't say, all right, let's go get a babysitter for the sheep, and then we can go and worship. They said, let's go now and find this Jesus. And they went and found Jesus. And I don't know how many sheep they took along with them. I don't know how many sheep they left. I think they left pretty much all of them. And they sacrificed and they risked their livelihood to be able to worship Jesus. They gave something. They gave of their voices when they were there. They humbled themselves before a child that was born in a manger in a feeding trough or was laid in a manger in like a feeding trough. They humbled themselves. The wise men humbled themselves. Look, in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, did you know you couldn't go into the tabernacle unless you had something to offer or sacrifice? You, you, you went there to sacrifice. You want to go to the tabernacle? You had to have something. The Levites were the only ones that could be there. The priests and the Levites were the only ones that could be in there. And if you wanted to go in there, you had to bring something. Worship takes a gift. And look, I'm not saying we're going to start sacrificing animals here. Okay? Um, Justin wouldn't like the cleanup. <laughs> we wouldn't like the smell. Uh, but what I am saying is, when you come to church to worship, when you do worshipful acts outside of here, what are you giving? Are you bringing your tithes? Are you bringing your offerings? Are you bringing your life? Are you bringing your voice? Are you bringing your talents? Are you bringing your family? Are you bringing to God your job? Are you putting it all before God and saying, God, because you're worth it, that's what worship is, saying, God, you're worth it. Because you're worth it, here, have it. And you know what? Here's my plans, you can have it. You know what? Here's my, my life, and you can have it. And here's my family, and you can have it. What are you bringing to God when you worship? Listen, think about it earlier when we were singing these songs as a congregation. Was there anything that you were holding back? Something as simple as your voice? Or as complex as the decision that you're making tomorrow or the new year for your job or your schooling or whatever? Are you holding back? Because if you hold back from God, you won't get anything from the worship. Not that worship is anything for you to get something out of, but you won't experience God in worship. Look, you can't expect to have effective worship if you're withholding from the Lord. Romans chapter 12, 1 talks about our reasonable service to the Lord. It was reasonable for these wise men to bring in caravan gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That was, that was reasonable for them because they were looking for a king. They went to go find the king. They were like, what are gifts fit for a king? 
would bring this. It is fit for a king for us to travel all this way for us to go and see him and worship. Not just for a king, but for the Savior of the world. It's fit. It's reasonable. It's logical to do that. The shepherds, they didn't take gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It wouldn't have been reasonable for them. It wouldn't have been logical for them. They didn't have it. Okay? But it was reasonable for them to go immediately and find the baby and worship Jesus. That was reasonable. That's why the, the angels didn't just, you know, out of nowhere, just so that the shepherds would sit back down and go, oh, that was a nice show. All right. Make sure all the sheep are still here. That's not why they did it. It was for the purpose that they would go, and they went, and they worshiped. And then they left, and it was reasonable for them to tell everybody that they could. And they went into the towns, and they told everybody. It was reasonable. And they worshiped. And their worship that they rendered was just as, as effective and, and sweet-smelling as the worship that the wise men rendered. What's our reasonable service? Romans chapter 12, if you'll turn there with me. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's reasonable. What's reasonable for me? Everything. My whole life. Your life, my life, all of it. That is the only reasonable thing that we can bring to the table. Look, he gave his life for you and for me. Right? It would be reasonable that I would give my life for him. Anything less is not worship. Like my heart needs to be his. And how do I know when my heart is his? Well, um, use an accounting phrase. Follow the money. Follow the treasure. Follow the investment. Jesus said it best. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where do you invest your money? Where do you invest your time? Where do you invest your thoughts? Where do you invest your talent? The area that it is most invested in, that's what has your heart. If it's invested in Christ, you can be sure Christ has your heart. But if you're investing in everything else, and your heart is everywhere else, 